Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I had the temptation to put up what I would only describe as halfway between feedback and a rant for certain segments of certain industries as I'm seeing quite frustrating behavior coming from different sectors. And I've been actively focused primarily in the direction of cryptocurrency, my podcast, and other things that are transpiring. I have to get ready for something that's coming up in six days. And unfortunately, there's another fiasco happening that I got to kind of manage. So there's a lot happening that has distracted me from other conversations that I'd love to have. But, you know, I've, I've purposely avoided LinkedIn. And the reason I've avoided LinkedIn is quite simple, really. LinkedIn has turned into the glorified adult version of Instagram or Facebook, and I'm not too much a fan of this approach. I'm not a fan of what they spam you with and the, you know, the, hey, we suggest this for you and we promoted this for you and the, you know, faulty headlines on the LinkedIn news side and just it's it's becoming less of what it was intended to be, which was that it was a place for business people to network and ideally meet other strong business people and maybe start up a business together or maybe, hey, I liked your writings and so I'd like to offer you a position and turned into, again, just a bunch of people that are sharing an opinion. Even from the LinkedIn News Editor group, they're just sharing their opinions on things and there's not, I don't know, um, I, I struggle to understand what's what's happening and why it's happening and why somebody thought this de-evolution was a good idea. However, I have to recognize it for what it is and, you know, kind of move from there. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of step into what I'm resonating with piece by piece, because I think it's important. And I want to start with things that are, that are, they affect everybody, but they affect a certain segment of the population. With the hiring process, I've, I've said on multiple occasions that the hiring process is fundamentally broken, and I'm targeting the United States when I say this, but it is fundamentally broken, and we have not done, we've not been willing to do anything to crack this egg that is the hiring process, and I struggle to understand why, and I assume that people who go and get bachelor's degrees in human resources management are being taught to do these things, and then they take that and they apply it to the workplace, and because the employer is not questioning it. We're stuck in this vicious cycle of nonsense that I don't understand why we must be and why we're why we're doing constantly the same thing over and over again. So here's some feedback of what I'm talking about with the hiring process. Start number one. When you are looking for a job, if you're whether you're entry level, mid level, advanced, it doesn't matter. When you're looking for a job. You have an assumption jumping in that people will recognize your level of expertise, number one. Number two, that you will have to do an interview and that as part of the interview, number three, there will be a decision made pretty much on the spot whether that decision is moved forward or not. What we're seeing now, and I, I ranted about this on a previous episode, technology has slowed us down because we have deprioritized the human in the process. And we have put technology in the front, and as a result, we're not as efficient and we're not as fast and we're not as logical with the hiring process, that initial screening. Let me talk you through what people are experiencing today. 
You could have a low-level position. I'm talking something that's entry-level customer service or entry-level, you know, call center team lead or something that's basic, something that's, you know, an quote-unquote office position. And it doesn't pay much. It might be 12 bucks an hour. It might be 15 bucks an hour. It doesn't pay much. But it's something that somebody can get some experience in, which they tell you, get some work experience if you're fresh out of school or maybe during your college uh, stint or whatever, just get some experience. Or maybe you're kind of winding down your career. You're tired of, you know, fighting at the top end and you want something that's a little bit easier and low key. And so you take these low-level positions. Instant, instantly what happens is you'll submit ideally a resume. However, some of them force you to fill out their ATS. Now, I want to put this whole ATS thing into perspective because I want to describe in simple terms what companies are doing with their ATSs. And I'm hoping that you are reasonable people who also believe how stupid this is when I describe it as it's described. The ATS, you are basically collecting it's like a needle in a haystack with people. You are collecting thousands and thousands of people's information into a database just so that you can pick and choose one person. You leave those thousands and thousands of people in said database for eternity. Your automated email response says that you will circle back to people if there's another position that better meets their needs, knowing good and well you don't. So now you got now you're building up this database of a bunch of people's information because those ATSs, especially like your iSIMs of the world, Workday, and some of the other ones, literally want you to basically fill out an onboard profile. They ask for everything. They ask for demographics data, some sensitive information, your date of birth, all your work history, even though it's on the resume and it failed to parse it. Uh, you know, your education history, even though it's on the resume and it failed to parse it, they want references, they want certifications, they want everything from you. You spend 10, possibly up to 30 minutes keying in all this data because the company doesn't want to hire data entry people to do it. And also that the company can basically ignore you, even if they don't use automated systems in the ATS, the automated scrubber, even if they don't use that, they're collecting up all this information. Then your company will say in response to, well, what's going on with my application? Well, we're kind of busy and we haven't had time to go through the resumes and we got so many darn resumes. We just, here's the truth. If you really want to hire somebody, you will budget time as part of your hiring thought process to make sure that you are screening each and every one of those. The moment you get it, what happens is that there's a position that's budgeted for in good faith. You honestly want to hire somebody. However, because of the internal politics of a thing, they'll say, no, we'd like to hire this person internally. It's easier. They want the job anyway. HR says, no, you got to make it fair. So at least put a job post out there and then we'll deny them and then we'll extend the offer to the person internally. It's a game. We know the game. Everybody knows the game. So now what I'm talking about with the ATS is you collected up all this data for no reason, because you had no intention of ever using any of it, because you were going to extend it to an internal person. Let's say that you were going to hire somebody from external. If you did, you're collecting, let's say, if, if people's quotes are true, which I think they're lying, but if people's quotes are true, they're getting thousands and thousands of resumes, so much that they can't go through it, okay, then you're collecting thousands and thousands of people's information, and no intention to go through it because you don't have time. 
but the information is a, is a waste. You're wasting their time. You're wasting the applicant's time because you're not willing to actually consider each and every one of them equally. You say you are because it's all going in the same tool. That's not equal consideration. Equal consideration is when I look at what I just got. If that person checks all the boxes on the job description, I am getting them on a phone interview. If they knock that phone interview out of the park, they're going to the next level. Instead, what happens is you get people who come who apply on the ATS, they submit a resume or whatever. You don't even look at it or because they didn't put the exact terms that you wanted, you completely disqualify them, even though fundamentally they match your job description to the core. They just didn't use the words that you wanted. I've seen ones that said, well, they didn't have that tool on there. Do, 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 and then they just deny them. And it's like, come on, man, you're not, you wouldn't say you got 50 years with a hammer. You'd say you have 50 years of home building experience. We all know that hammers are used in building homes. So it's assumptive. They're not willing to assume. They want it spelled out for them. I'm referring to the hiring people, the people who are looking at the data when they do look at it. They're looking for over-specific things. All that means is that every time you see a job description, you're basically, and when I say you, I'm referring to the candidates out there who are desperate for work are sitting there lying on their applications, lying on their resumes just to get past those initial bias screeners because once they get to the interview, they know they can knock it out the park. Then they have buddies lie for them to make phony references. We know that's the case. References don't do you any good because it, they can be fabricated too easy. You can't really verify them to any veracity. And if you try to do, well, give me a past supervisor, give me a past manager, that past supervisor manager could be the buddy. No matter what you do, you can't avoid it. The net effect of the fact that the process is broken is people are essentially making stuff up as they go just to fit what you're trying to look for. Okay, they want CSS, and I see they want Python, and I see they want Java, and I see they want Slack, and they want you know um, Convergence and Jira and all these. Okay, I'll just put all that stuff creatively on my resume and on my application so that it'll pop to them to see all these tools. That person gets in there, they can figure out how to do it because everybody knows how to search Stack Overflow. But let's be honest here. They're either going to wash out because they weren't that good to begin with and they knew it, or they'll excel, but they're excelling using other people's information, which there's nothing wrong with it. But at the end of the day, you didn't get the person you thought you were getting, which is a super expert in a craft. Because no expert in a craft has the perfect resume or the perfect application for every job. They're written so differently and there's no standard. Even with terminology, there's no standard. There are companies out there who are asking for HTML experience. Well, do you want HTML4? Do you want HTML5? They are actually two different things. You could get somebody who's a bona fide expert in HTML4, but it won't do any good if your web is HTML5. However, it doesn't matter if you look for somebody who has ongoing web development experience and is up on the latest web technologies. See how I worded that ever different. That's not what they do. The last point I'll call out with this fiasco is when you talk education. Tons of people will say, and I'm talking low-level positions here, they'll say you got to have a bachelor's degree, period, quote, or equivalent experience. When you go through the application process, it calls out a bachelor's degree as a requirement. Which is it? Are you requiring a bachelor's degree? And if you are, it's a joke if it's a low-level position making 12 bucks an hour. Or is equivalent experience acceptable? If it is, why are you requiring it on your application? Because you didn't bother to think it through. You didn't bother to think Maybe we shouldn't even have any sort of degree requirement on here at all, and maybe we should consider 
levels of experience and or education that are sufficient to meet our needs. Here's the truth. The level of experience that you need doing a thing is less than the level of education you need to do that same thing because experience hands-on doing is a, you're faster at learning it. What they do is the reverse. They'll say, well, you know, if you have your bachelor's degree, you only need two years of a thing. But if you don't have a bachelor's degree, you need 10 years of a thing. This doesn't make any sense at all. That basically means you don't trust the applicant. And frankly, you shouldn't blindly trust the applicant, but you should have some strong standard that makes sense. You know that hands-on experience is the best teacher. So why are you discriminating against that group of people? Simply put, you don't know any better. You're taught in college that that's the right way to do it. Thus, you are promoting the very commodity that college has become. You're promoting the narrative that everybody must do a thing in order for a said thing to be credible. And as a result, you're getting people in who aren't able to effectively do the job. On the flip, you have another group of people who then go off and become consultants or gig workers or whatever, and you lose that skill because that skill does go stale if you don't apply it. I would rather make sure it's constantly applied, make sure that we're using this talent, make sure those people are heavily rewarded for the talent they bring to the table. And as long as their skills stay fresh, meaning that you're constantly going to trainings and certifications and that sort of thing, what's the problem with hiring somebody who comes with strong experience as long as they can sell me in the interview process? So when you have a low-level position, it should matter even less what college they went to. I was just having this conversation about a sales position. When it's a sales position, college is not going to help you anywhere near what actual in the trenches doing it will do. Part of that's personality. And it's not about introvert, extrovert. It's simple just personality. Some people can switch on and sell ice to an Eskimo. Eskimo. That's what it is. That's, that's your skill. You just have it. You just have that gift. Some people have it. Some don't. When you identify the ones that have it, you can sense it when you interview them. They just have a delivery that is, that's strong, and you can sense that, okay, this person was able to sell me on the interview to hire them. I think I could put them in the sales realm, and they would succeed. The rest of it's trained. I guarantee you there's not a single class or set of classes in any college that can teach you to be an effective salesperson. None. There are, there are seminars, right? There are certifications. There are other tertiary ways to learn how to effectively sell, but there's not a single class or set of classes in any college that will make you a good salesperson because that's not their job. They're teaching you the underlying fundamentals that should support your career however way it goes. I think companies get too fixated on what they've been told in the college world that you must go here in order to be a good ex. This might be true if you're talking a doctor, a scientist, a professor even, or certain positions that are truly professional in nature and they're not the low-level roles. That's what I'm attacking. I'm attacking the standardization of a commodity and then forcing it upon and then complaining that you can't find good people. You can't have it both ways. There are tons of people that would love to work these low-level roles. I know tons of people myself that... They're working low-level roles right now. They don't mind working low-level roles, but they would love to make a little bit more, and they would love to learn whatever's necessary to do it, and I know they can because these are brilliant people that are at points were on my level. So I, it's hard for me then to get them into those roles because they do have their nuances specific to them 
that make it hard for them to get past this hurdle that I know is there. See, I recognize it because I've gone through the process from now all angles, from a management person who was hiring to a team member who was hiring as part of the team to an applicant myself. I see the game that's being played, and I see so much standardization in the game that it can only be coming from the college world that they're teaching that you must do these certain things every single time. And my frustration is that no company has stepped up and said, there's got to be a better way. Think about it this way. Why would we have so many articles on a constant basis on the cesspool that is LinkedIn today talking about hard to find good people, struggling to find good people, open jobs, there's tons of jobs all over the place. Why would there constantly be this same message about a struggle to hire people? It is not a struggle to hire people. They're not struggling to hire people. They're struggling to adapt. That's what we're talking about here. Change the process by which you do hiring, and maybe you would have an easier time of it. I'll wrap this up even in a nicer bow by going to the screening process. And I could dedicate a whole separate episode to this, but I won't. I thought about it, but I won't. Companies that talk about a drug-free workplace. There's not a single company in the United States. I won't pick international because that's a whole different beast. But in the United States, there's not one company that is drug-free that can say they are truly drug-free with a straight face. They can claim to be, but it's not true. No company can be drug-free. Drug-free was a piggyback by private businesses jumping on the bandwagon when the federal government passed their Drug-Free Workplace Act for federal employees, and then private said, oh, that's a good idea. Let's go ahead and do it, basically as a marketing slogan. It was designed to help people feel like I'm being around safe people when the truth is you could have somebody who has used or who has abused drugs who is one of the top workers you could ever have. It's true. Did you know cigarettes are essentially a drug? Did you know marijuana is a drug? Did you know that anything that's over-the-counter, perfectly legal, are drugs? Did you know that even today, doctors will prescribe things like fentanyl? That's a drug. What, do I'm, what am I saying? You don't have a drug-free workplace. It's impossible because there are legal drugs out there. So, and marijuana is the number one in the highlight right now. Right now, multiple states have legalized it, allow you to consume it, and no business can ban your use of it outside of the workplace in some of these states. Literally to the point that if you do a drug screen and it comes positive for marijuana, which it's going to in places like Colorado for sure, for most, then you still have to hire them. You still have to consider them. You can't discriminate against them. So now ask yourself the question. We had a point where certain other drugs were also you know, banned, completely banned. You can't do this. You know, there was a ban on cigarettes at one point. There's a ban on a lot of different drugs that were out there. And then all of a sudden they become acceptable in certain states or at the federal level. And marijuana is banned at the federal level, but not at the state level in most cases. All right. So then it becomes whack-a-mole. We are subjecting applicants to drug screens. Why? Because we were told to because of the illusion of a drug-free workplace. You don't have a drug-free workplace. 
if somebody pops positive for marijuana and you're in Colorado, you still have to hire that person, I believe. That certainly is the case in Nevada. So then what's the point? Because 99.995% of applicants will pass that drug screen of flying colors for two reasons. One, either they know how to cheat it, or two, they're truly clean. And then the ones that know how to cheat it, they might fail for weed because weed tends, for those, you might have to do like a urine test, um, you know, uh, urine test, hair test, a variety of different tests to try to identify it because there's ways that you can cheat that. And there's ways that you can t- catch them when they're trying to cheat, at least for marijuana. But then you got states who say, no, marijuana is acceptable. And now you're back at square one. You still got to hire that person. So you just burn money on the drug screen for those people who were consuming marijuana because the state allowed it, even though it's federally not allowed you still wasted that money and you're subjecting every employee to it. So you're burning money on multiple drug screens. So for the 99.9995% of people who were perfectly clean on it, you burn money on this all to say that you are a drug free workplace when you know you're not because some people might actually have been prescribed something that is illicit outside of the boundaries of a physician and they might pop positive and then you have to give an excuse. Okay, here's what happened. Da, da, da. All because you want to claim you are a drug-free workplace. You don't have a drug-free workplace. No company can. It's impossible. So we should, in a better world, question, why are we subjecting employees to this drug screen? What does it do? Even if they were to, let's say, pass clean, perfectly clean, no marijuana, no nothing. They start work. You're not testing them after the fact if they don't show clear evidence that they may be impaired or if they're a driver, like a truck driver or something, if they're sitting in an office, you're not testing them on a regular basis. So what is the point of that upfront screen? I'll tell you what it is. It is simply to weed out people that the company doesn't want. That's truly what it is. But those people could very well be some of the best workers you have. And whatever drug it is that they may or may not pop for, they may be in recovery for it. It might have been prescribed. You don't know. So because of all this sketchiness, to me, this is my opinion, professional opinion, a better approach is to simply settle on, we will drug test you when you give us a reason that we should. If your performance has significantly tanked to where we can clearly see some kind of impairment, we will ask you about it, we'll call you on it, and we may ask you to submit to a drug exam within a finite period because we have suspicions of impairment. Or if you're a driving job, uh, pilot, certainly. Something where other lives are at significant risk. I'm not talking your accountant sitting off in the office calculating you know, on the computer. I'm talking about people who where there's a significant risk to other people as a result of you doing that job, physical harm or otherwise. Those, maybe you do the random testing that some companies do, like truck drivers and others. Maybe you just say, you know what? As long as you are not in a vehicle of some kind, we're not even going to bother at all because it doesn't, as long as your work is still what we need it to be, we're not going to bother. I think what they're doing mostly is they're resonating with people in the organization. I'm talking some other employees who have a bias against drugs, despite the fact that many of them likely have taken or are taking or are subject to taking some sort of drug that was otherwise illicit because of whatever illness. Like I said, fentanyl is a prescribed drug. It's not like it's a 
it's not like it's something that you would only get on the black market. It's a prescribed drug, and many people, they get you know pain medication and fentanyl was laced in it. So it's not that they intentionally took the thing, it just happened. And same thing with other types of drugs. You just don't know. I'm not suggesting that you don't drug test at all. I'm saying that the logic by which we drug test has been skewed, and we now have turned it into a standard, and nobody has stopped to question why we're doing it. The result of this is that the company is burning millions and millions of dollars testing people, knowing that the vast majority will pass, and the ones who fail likely have a solid reason why they failed, and the majority of those are going to be marijuana, which is likely legal in many states. And so what have you gained? Nothing. You've gained absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, the candidate, whoever, has just gotten another barrier put in front of them. They want to work for the company. They want to add value to the company. And now, not only are they subjected to a background check, and the background check is a whole different problem. I have no issue with it. It's just the way that we do it. So that's a whole different problem. But there's a background check. So you got to do the ATS. you got to spend waste time filling in their system. Then go through anywhere from one to potentially five different interviews to convince people there that you're worth considering. Then you have to go through an offer process, and the offer process is negotiation. They're going to lowball you, which means they didn't really value you in the first place. Then you have to go through background checks. You have to go through the drug screen, and the drug screen is a pain because you have to actually go down to the center to get tested. Then you have to wait for the results on this. Then you got to wait for the results on the background check. Then you need to do the I-9. The I-9 is a blatant nightmare if you're working remote because companies are not willing to adopt the DHS guidance that says you don't need to do the physical presence right now. Just go ahead and do it over video, and you're good. Many of them don't want to do it, so now you create more headaches and nightmares just to get on board and then you talk about getting other things that are necessary like getting hardware and vpn you know phone that makes sense making sure your internet's set many of them are like can't use wi-fi do 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 for no that's stupid security that's a lie it's a joke so regardless i'm just focusing on this additional step in a process where nobody can explain it which is we claim to be drug-free workplace knowing good and well you're not because there are so many people that take other drugs that are perfectly prescribed that would likely fail a test. And then you're discriminating against those people simply because your drug screening company doesn't know the context behind it. You say you have an appeal process, but then why bother going to the appeal when it's a role that doesn't even have any sort of endangerment or any sort of risk outside of them sitting in the corner doing their work, and as long as the work's getting done satisfactorily, why do we care about trying to subject people to an extra process that you're paying for and it wastes their time? All of which to say the hiring process is fundamentally broken. And I just called out just a couple of examples, but we delay people getting on board. We delay finding quality candidates. We ignore people who want to work for us, and we essentially distrust them, and we treat all of them like criminals. And that's not the way it should be. Then we lie because in our postings, we claim that it's, quote, immediate, quote, urgent positions. They, somebody submits an application for it or a resume for it, and then that, that group sits on it for a week. That's not immediate. That's not urgent. Even if they do get back quick, they'll say, okay, let's do a phone screen. You do a phone screen. The phone screen is all of 15 minutes, which doesn't give you a chance to ask any questions. Then it needs to go to a hiring manager takes them a month or two to even get you to the point of a secondary interview. And then 
after this, there's another two weeks to a month for HR to figure their stuff out and get onboarding all set up before you can start. All different from what I grew up with, which was you open up the Sunday paper, you submit, here's my resume, or maybe not, maybe just talk them on the phone, and then you show up there and you do an interview, and maybe a week later you get a offer letter and there's no negotiation because it was already written in the paper what the hourly rate or whatever was going to be. And we've come a long way from that because of technology getting in the front and our desire to remove the human from the equation. And instead, we distrust every applicant that comes our way and we do everything in our power not to hire people. The flip of this is that you can have somebody who is extremely highly credentialed. We're talking master's degrees, MBAs, you know, five to 10 years of work experience. They're an expert in their craft. They're the best. And then we don't want to hire them because unfortunately we can't afford to pay them. So now you got this tug of war going on. Either somebody's not qualified enough for us or somebody's overqualified and we don't, we don't want to pay that person. So maybe we should rethink all the stuff that we subject people to. Maybe we should rethink forcing everybody to key in an ATS. Maybe we should get the human back in the equation so that we can really understand what it is that we need out of our candidate. If we do that, we're going to find that there's out of a thousand resumes, we should be able to go through those in an hour at most, which assumes that we're budgeting time to review resumes as a team. That's not hard. However, yes, you're going to have to let go of that pointless meeting that you have every 8 a.m. talking about what you did yesterday. I'm not talking about stand-ups. I'm talking about the pointless meeting to help the project manager. Maybe you do without that. Maybe you dedicate that time to reviewing resumes as a group, human group, do a score matrix and identify who is the strongest candidate based on the score factors. There's all sorts of tools and tricks to screen resumes. The excuse that we don't have time to me doesn't fly anymore. It is one of the many reasons why there's constant articles talking about you can't find good people. You can, you don't want to because you're turning them away with essentially a broken process. And there's nobody who's stepping up with a desire to fix the process and not just follow blindly behind what HR college tells us to do. And I'm speaking from the heart because I've taken HR college classes. I know some of these fundamentals. However, when I did the hiring process myself as a hiring manager, yeah, there was a little bit of pain to it. But again, I was able to screen close to a thousand resumes myself and it only took me an hour, maybe two-ish to go through them because I knew what I was looking for based on the needs of the job. And when I got down to the list of who I thought was strong candidates, I used the interview to tell me who was the one I was going to kick over to the next step, which would have been basically the offer stage. And one of the people I kicked over disqualified himself because of something he said. Somebody else, I wanted him to go in a different role. He didn't want to do it, so he self-disqualified. Easy. And then another girl withdrew because she wanted to do something different. Cool. Self-disqualified. Easy. One person. One guy. So it can be done. We have to stop with the excuse that we cannot. You have to start looking at your meetings and which meetings are truly a time waste and you didn't need to have them in the first place. You're so much in the groove and so much in a routine that you're not willing to question stupid steps that you're doing that are wasting your time such that you don't have time to have the human in front of the hiring process. And again, I'm not targeting this to the Amazons of the world. I'm targeting this to the companies who have, you know, maybe less than 5,000 employees at, at scratch. We're talking the ones that you don't have a frequent hiring cadence, but when you do have a role come up, you do get hit with a lot of resumes because they're low-level positions. You should be able to screen those as a human group 
and do the process without heavy reliance on technology. Once you've gotten down to your five to 10 top candidates, then subject them to go in, fill out the ATS because now you are a candidate. We are strongly considering you. You're not in the initial phase. We are strongly considering you. So go in and fill out your data and then we'll add you to the, the final consideration as part of a ATS review to determine which one we're going to move forward to and possibly consider whether we need more than one person. Maybe you do two part-times, maybe you get creative with hiring. If you see that there's strong candidates, regardless, I would like to see a return to more humanity in the hiring process, less reliance on technology. I know it sounds strange coming from a technologist, but it's getting strange. It's getting really strange how there's so much resistance to the human aspect of human resources. I don't know where that's coming from, but I submit that that rush away from the human touch is the reason why some of these companies swear up and down that they can't find good people when I know they could. 